dive into part three. We're in a series called Soul Care. Soul Care. If you missed last week, Christina brought a great message on breaking the cycle of fear and anxiety. And uh, we've really been in this series around the soul, and here's why. In Matthew 16, Jesus said this, you can gain the whole world, meaning you can have great success at work. Uh, you can have so many degrees that you have the entire alphabet behind your name. Come on, somebody. You can, you can have a fully funded 401K. You can have kids who are successful and get into their number one school, but you can lose your soul. And he says, man, what does it profit you to gain that? If you lose your soul, we, we are in an ever increasing complex culture that at times can feel like it's warring with our soul. In fact, you know, coming out of a global pandemic, the World Health Organization found that that ang- levels of anxiety and depression increased by 25 percent uh, through that time period. Uh, and we all feel it. Right. We, we have felt, even it feels like over the past several years, levels of anxiety and depression. In fact, substance abuse and overdoses up. And, and all this to say, our souls are in peril. Uh, but gratefully, uh, Jesus cares immensely for our souls. And there's some things that we can do to cultivate health in our souls. Uh, so we've been talking on different topics around the area of soul. And today I want to talk about a topic that affects, has either affected us all or probably will affect us all at some point. And it's the topic of discouragement. Discouragement. In fact, Oxford defines discouragement as the feeling of a loss of confidence or dispiritedness. It's this feeling of dejection. Discouragement happens when our expectations don't match our reality, or rather our reality do not match our expectations. It's when you have discouragement because you thought you'd be in a different place in your career than you are. Uh, discouraged because you thought your marriage would be happier than it is. Discouragement because maybe you thought you'd be married by now, but you're not. Uh, discouragement because you thought you'd have children by now, but you do not. We all have faced some degree of discouragement. Or maybe you, you thought you would get into this one particular graduate program, but you didn't. That's when there's that gap. And here's the danger of discouragement, is we lose confidence and we begin to lose hope. And here's what the Bible says about this in Proverbs 13, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. That literally discouragement is a depressant for the soul and that it can lead you hopeless, loss of confidence, dejected, lacking in faith. Hearing all that, you're probably saying, Pastor, I'm discouraged hearing you talk about discouragement. Come on, somebody. The good news is coming. But, but I want us to feel it's, it's a weight that we all have probably felt at some point or the other. And we're going to talk today about how do we defeat discouragement? How do we overcome discouragement in our lives? But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. As we open up today, Holy Spirit... We say, come and speak to us. Move in our lives in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. We're going to be in Nehemiah 4, if you have your Bibles, Nehemiah 4. I love the book of Nehemiah, one of my favorite books of the Bible. And and Nehemiah, why I love Nehemiah is he felt this really holy call, holy burden to go back to his home city, 
Jerusalem, the capital city, to rebuild the, the ruins, the, 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 the walls around the city. Uh, the Babylonian Empire had burned down the city of Jerusalem. Uh, they had sent the Jewish people into exile. Uh, and, and Nehemiah was serving faithfully for the king of Persia. He was a cupbearer. Uh, here's what that means. He basically uh, tasted wine for the king. Some of you are like, where's that job? Come on, somebody. <laughs> don't, don't get too excited. <laughs> he was basically to test it and make sure it wasn't poison. So you know if it was poison if you lived, right? Um, but it was actually a very coveted position. It was like being in the equivalent of a president's cabinet. Like the king didn't just let anybody taste the, his wine. But Nehemiah again feels this holy call. He goes before the king. I feel called to rebuild the walls around my capital city, my home. So he goes, he steps out. And, and they begin to, he, he kind of rallies some, some of the Jewish exiles. They begin to rebuild the city. Things begin to progress. But then they face resistance. And let me just say this today. You can write this down. If you step out in faith to something God puts on your heart, if you begin to pursue the purposes of God in your life, expect to face resistance. The Bible says it this way, that our battle's not against flesh and blood. I know you thought it was your coworker who was against you. It's not. Come on, somebody. It is, it is against principalities and powers in dark places, the forces of hell will come against you. They, they, it will try to, and one of the ways the enemy works is he does, in fact, the, the, in the book of Revelation, Jesus says he, he is the accuser of the brethren, which means he, he, is, he accuses us, he ridicules us, he, he attacks us in our minds. And that's what we see in Nehemiah 4. They begin to face ridicule from two men named Sanballat and Tobiah. Sanballat and Tobiah are actually what's called in Scripture a type and shadow. They are a type and shadow of the devil uh, because they are ridiculing Nehemiah. In the same way the enemy, the devil, Satan himself, will ridicule believers to get us discouraged. So we lack faith. So we lack hope because hope deferred makes the heart sick. So we don't walk fully in the purpose God has for us. Here's verse 1. says this. When Samballot heard that we, this is Nehemiah writing, we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria. He said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring these stones back to life, those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Amorite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox could climb on it and would break down their wall of stones. He begins to, to ridicule them and call them feeble and begins to say, you know, what are you going to do through these heaps of stones? See, the Jewish people were rebuilding. The stones they were using were the very stones that were burned up by the Babylonians. What was commonplace back then, if you were to build something, you would take fresh limestone. So they were using these burned up stones. So they were thinking, how are you going to use these burned up stones to rebuild the walls? But here's the good news. We have a God who in the scripture says he takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He can take what nobody else wants and build what everybody else wants. 
That he's in the business of where we are weak, he is actually strong. That this is the way that God works. He doesn't wait for you to have it all together. He doesn't wait for you to have all the proper equipment and equipping and have a clear vision of everything where you're going. Listen, he does not call those who feel equipped. He equips those whom he's called. And may I encourage someone today, if you feel called to do something by God and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to do this without God, it very may, may well be God. May I say on the flip side, if what you feel called to, you can do without God, I would question if it is God. Because God is all about doing exceedingly, abundantly, and above more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. And he loves it when we're dependent upon him, when we need him, when we're leaning upon him, when we than our competence. When we have more hope in Christ than our CV. He wants to do that in your life, church. I'm a little more fired up than I was for 930. I got a little more, a little more Holy Spirits in this one. Come on. He must be your favorite. Let me give you three ways to defeat discouragement from the life of Nehemiah. This is all from his life. I love Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a great a way to study the Bible is kind of character studies. He is a great person to study. His character, man of character, integrity, and faith. Uh, here's the first one. If you're taking notes, and you know, if you're not taking notes, just write this down. Is listen to the voice of God. How do we defeat discouragement? We have to listen to the voice of God. So Sambal and Tobiah are ridiculing them. What are you feeble Jews doing? They start ridiculing who they are. You know what the enemy loves to do? He loves to ridicule who you are. Who do you think you are trying to launch that business? Who do you think you are trying to be a physician? Who do you think you are trying to be a father? You don't measure up. You don't have the right experience. Who, are you, who do you think you are trying to have a healthy marriage? You messed up the last one. You're going to mess up this one. Can I tell you, if any of those thoughts have ever come into your mind, they are not from heaven. They are from the pit of hell. And they are a lie. In fact, I love Jesus in John chapter 8. He actually talks about, about Satan, and he actually calls him the father of lies. Come on, if you had your grandmama growing up say the devil is a liar, your grandmama was right. Come on, somebody. The devil is a liar. That's what he does. If you look at the devil's resume, it's like, what are your competencies? I lie. That's what he does. He lies. He lies. And I love what Thomas Carlyle says. Ridicule is the language of the devil. Loves to ridicule you. You don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes to, to work as a teacher. You don't have what it takes to go in that industry. You don't have what it takes to be a spouse. You don't have what it takes to raise those kids. And he is, he is a liar. So here's what we'll do. Is, is he, let me put it this way. I was thinking this past week. I was watching my kids play basketball, and uh, I played high school basketball. And uh, I'd say, not that I advise this, and I don't teach this to my kids, but um, I, I wasn't the fastest on the court. Uh, I wasn't the most gifted. Um, but I, I was a trash talker. Come on, where are my trash talkers at? Come on, somebody. It's like when we score on them, like all day. We're here all day, baby. What's up? Get a little bank shop. Oh, the bank's open on Thursday night, apparently. Because here's what I knew. Here's what trash talkers know. And if you're a trash talker, you know this. 
you know if you relied solely on your skill, you would get whooped. Come on, somebody. So you're like, I have to get in their head. Because if I can get in their head, I can discourage them. If I can discourage them, they're not playing on their game. That's why if you watch sports, momentum is so important because when a team starts losing momentum, they get discouraged. That defense feels defeated, deflated. Can I tell you, the enemy is, is a trash talker, and he's got no skill. He's got, he, he is all bark, no bite, because here's what he knows. He knows the word of God. You know, actually, the devil knows the word of God well, and he knows that it says, greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. He knows the Bible says the same power that rose Christ Jesus from the grave lives on the inside of you. That frightens hell. That frightens hell. Like, do you know this? When you get up, hell is shivering because the spirit of God's on the inside of you. We don't have to fear the devil and his demons. We have the authority of Jesus Christ. And he has taken the keys to death, hell, and the grave. So all he's got is you don't measure up. You're not good enough. What do you think you're doing? Because if he can get into your mind, he can discourage you. And then you lose faith. You lose hope. And hope deferred makes the heart sick. So what do we do in these moments that we feel like? that He's he's lying to us. Those lies come across like when you have a bad day at work, maybe a rough week, maybe a rough season. And he says... What are you doing? You're not going to make it in this industry. Or when you're having marital issues, he says, you're not going to make it. If he wants to come in and sell these lies to you, because the only authority the devil has in your life is that which you give him through agreement. It's the only authority he has. The only authority he has is that which you say, you know what, okay, I'm going to believe that. So the Bible tells us in Proverbs 4, 23, above all else, like above everything, Guard your heart. That word heart literally means your inner person. It means your mind, will, and emotions. Like your, your, your whole self. For everything you do flows from it. So if you allow discouragement to get in your heart, everything you do will flow from that discouragement. So let me give you an antidote we see out of the book of Nehemiah. So chapters, or verse 1 through 3, they're, they're, they're ridiculing, they're hurling insults. And I love this, verse 4. He says, hear us, our our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. I love Nehemiah did not get into a insult battle. You know, he didn't throw out a your mama joke. Come on, somebody. He, he didn't say, well, well, you, you, or he didn't defend himself either. He didn't say, we're not feeble, we're strong. Because, listen, here's a theme you'll see in Nehemiah. His confidence doesn't come from his competence. It always came from God. So how does he respond? He prayed. It's like, it's like someone's talking trash. You know, you know, the people who, who do the best job at dealing with trash talk is they let their game speak for themselves. That you let our God speak for himself. 
So he said, God, you hear. And what does Nehemiah do? He prays according to the word of God and the will of God. The most powerful prayers you will ever pray is according to God's word and God's will. So knowing the word, praying the word. Prayer is our first response, not our last resort. We say here at Catalyst. That is our first response. You know, look in the scriptures. Daniel, when he faced the threat of the lion's den, what did he do? He prayed. When Esther faced hardship, what did she do? She fasted and prayed. When Peter was in prison, what did the church do? They prayed. When Jesus was in the garden facing crucifixion, he prayed. Can I encourage you, church? When you, when you get out of that meeting at work and you got some bad news and you're feeling discouraged, pray. When you have a disagreement, an argument with your spouse, and you feel discouraged, pray. When you get that report from your kid's school and you feel discouraged, pray. That prayer, here's what happens, because when you pray, God adds his super to your natural. And God can do what you could never do. I love what Louis Giglio says. He says this, if we could see, let this sink in. If we could see what happens when we pray, we would never cease to pray. Read it again. If we could see what happens when we pray, we could never cease to pray. I, I say this humbly, but whatever you're discouraged about, until you pray about it, you may never find courage. Because the courage that will last, the courage that will help you overcome, is that which comes from God. Joshua and Joshua 1. I, I love the book of Joshua too. Joshua has this, a prayer, a conversation with God. And God, what I love about Joshua is Joshua is a government leader. So Joshua's not a pastor. He's not leading a church. He's not a missionary. He's leading the people of God to cross the Jordan River. He, he leads men into battle. And chapter, verse 9 says this, God tells Joshua, have I not commanded you? Remember, I shared this about a month ago. Prayer is not a one-way uh, conversation, right? So we talk to God, but we hear from God. He's hearing from God. So the Lord tells him, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Can I tell you what you need to face discouragement tomorrow? You need to hear the voice of your Father in heaven. You, you need more than you need another class, more than you need the right network, more than you need a positive affirmation and good vibes. You need to hear from your Father in heaven. You can say, good vibes, hold on for now. I need to hear from God. Because can I tell you, the voice of God will give you a courage that no man can take from you, that no woman can take from you, no bad day at work can take from you, no discouraging report from your teacher can take from you. No, no argument with your spouse can take from you when you hear from heaven. Joshua, when he led the people of God to cross the Jordan River at flood stage, where did his courage come from? As the psalmist says, my help comes from above. Got to hear the voice of God. That's why it's so important. I, I commend you because you're, you're in church on the first day of the week. Can I also encourage you this? Is, is to spend time in prayer in the Bible at the first part of your day. That's why it's so important in the morning. When you get up, listen, how many of you know, when you pick up your phone and look at email first thing in the morning, it don't leave you encouraged. Come on, somebody. Anybody else? You look at that email, you say, get behind me, Satan. 
I think the devil's an email. I don't like it. I don't like it. Don't send me an email. I won't read it, okay? <laughs> so I probably shouldn't have said that. Take that out of the recording. Um, but honestly, I probably won't. I mean, I just don't like email. Um, some of you are judging me right now. I'm okay with that. Come on, if you scroll the news, come on. The devil's definitely in the news media sometimes. Come on, somebody. You got to get behind me, Satan. Come on. The devil's definitely in Instagram, right? Come on. Listen, you, you don't need, listen, first thing tomorrow morning, what you need to do is you need to hear from heaven, church. That'll give you courage to go in and lead that meeting. That'll give you courage, mom, dad, to raise that child. That'll give you courage, hey, husband, wife, to go to that marriage counselor. That'll give you courage to do the internal work that you need to do to get healthy and whole. You need to hear from God. Then, in fact, I was, I was reminded of a year ago, we, we took our kids to um, the Great Wolf Lodge. And uh, there was this obstacle that my son was on where he had to, like, sort of um, walk along these different kind of, like, they're like these, like, large kind of lily pad type things. And he had a shimmy on this rope. And he was a little nervous. He was a little discouraged because he honestly was a little, a little probably young. Most of the kids were older who were on this. So the whole time while he was on it, I told him before he went there, I said, Judah, I said, your dad is right here with you. If you fall in, I'm jumping in. Like, if anything, I'm going I'm to, and the whole time he was going across it, I was, like, cheering him on the other side. I was like, son, you got this. Son, I'm with you. Son, like, no, you know, I'm, I'm here. Keep going. Keep going. In the same way, listen, as a father, he heard his voice of his father. We need to hear the voice of our father. How did God end this with Joshua? I will be with you wherever you go. Can I tell you what will give you courage that no one can take from you? To know that God is with you wherever you go. God's with you in that meeting tomorrow. God's with you in that counseling session. God's with you with that conversation with your child's teacher. Listen to the voice of God. Number two is that we then have to remember the goodness of God. Remember the goodness of God. Verse 14, let me give you context. So Sambalad and Tobiah are ridiculing them. Some of the Jewish people start in the, in the camp are like, maybe we, should, maybe we should pull back, Nehemiah. They start getting discouraged. And I love Nehemiah's response. He says this. Uh, After I looked these things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, your God, the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. He says, remember a common theme in the Old and New Testament, you'll see God <laughs> reminding us to remember, to remember what he's done, to remember his faithfulness. In fact, in Deuteronomy 6, 12, it says this, Be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. I think it's fitting that, that this is told to the, to the people of God after they had been freed from slavery because God knew that you're going to need to remember what I did because I'm about to ask you to cross the Jordan River <laughs> in a little bit. To remember, to remember. The enemy wants you to have short-term memory. That you actually forget the goodness of God in your life. That you forget the faithfulness of God. He wants you to forget what God saved you from. 
He wants you to forget how God's forgiven you of all sin. He wants you to forget how he healed your aunt. He wants you to forget how he landed you that job. He wants you to forget how he's blessed your life. Because when we do not remember, listen, here's what remembrance does. When we remember what God has done, it gives us faith for what God can do. When we remember, so, so, and here's the beautiful thing of Scripture. This is why I love Scripture. We're Bible people here at Catalyst Church. We love the Bible. It's the, it's the living Word of God. No other book has the words of life but the Word of God. Can I get an amen? amen. And what I love about the Scripture, it's a narrative, historical narrative of the faithfulness of God through generations. So even if you have no history with God, you do have a history with God. So, so what happens is we remember. So listen, listen, do, do it this week. Whatever you're discouraged about, I did it this week. When you're thinking about what you're discouraged over right now, that, that problem at work, that issue with your spouse, or maybe it's a personal issue, remember that our God parted the Red Sea. Remember that our God shut the mouths of the lions in the lion's den. Remember that it was our God who was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, and they came out with nothing even singed. Remember, it was our God who opened the eyes of blind Bartimaeus. That it was our God who freed Peter from prison. And it was our God who raised Christ Jesus from the grave. This is our God. And when you remember, my God parts seas, my God opens blind eyes, my God raises the dead, well, this little bitty, bitty problem I'm facing at work is nothing for my God. Remember! Remember! God can do it, church. And I encourage myself this morning. I love 1 Samuel 36. It says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. You need to encourage yourself in the Lord. Encourage your spirit. This is who our God is. This is what my God can do. I love what, here's the New Testament for you. I always love when I read scripture. Just, just a little side note for you Bible nerds. I know some of you out there. If I find a truth in the Old Testament, I search for it in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. Here's Jesus. He's always a good source. The helper is the Holy Spirit. The Father will send him in my place. Watch this. He will teach you everything. Here you go. And help you. What's that word? Remember everything I told you. Jesus is like, listen, listen. You all are going to have memory issues. Come on, somebody. He knew we all would. So he's like, I'm going to send you a helper. The spirit, the parakletos, the, the counselor, the comforter, the advisor. To remind you of all the things I've done, of all the things I've told you, to help us remember. One way we can remember a powerful, practical practice is worship. Is worship. Watch this, Psalms 34. Let me give you context. David is discouraged because King Saul, so David was anointed to be the king, next king of Israel. But the current king was trying to take his life. And the current king was bringing an army with him. Now, I don't know about you what you're currently discouraged over. But David had a good reason to be discouraged, right? He had a king in the army coming after to kill him because he was a threat to Saul. That's how Saul viewed it. And he writes Psalm 34 in the midst of this, right? You know? So it's like, journal, day 35 of running for my life. 
right. I will praise the Lord at all times. Like David's friends are like, hey, David, David, David. You know he's trying to kill you. And you're going to praise God right now? Watch this. I will constantly speak his praises. A little side note. It's because true, biblical, accurate praise and worship is not contingent upon your circumstances. As you say, when I'm king, I praise you. And when I'm running for my life, I praise you. When I'm healthy, I praise you. When I'm sick, I praise you. When I'm in the job I prayed about, I praise you. When that job lets me go, I praise you because you are my source. See, David was, was, he's leading us and he was leading his mighty men. This is how you live your life. We constantly praise. Then he says, I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Let me just put a little pause right here. Because David, if you don't know David, David had a pretty impressive resume. Let me just tell you one thing he did. There was a giant that the entire land was afraid of. Now watch this. Not only did your boy kill him with a sling and a few stones, but your boy cut his head off. Come on, somebody. Now, I don't know about you. I would boast in the Lord, and I'd boast in that too. Come on, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm that, I, I'm that man. Come on, somebody. Yeah, I got his head right here. What you want? What you want? <laughs> Slow your roll. I'm just dragging around with me. What? She won. Don't cross me. Come. Come for me. Come with it. Sorry. That's why I'm not David. People at modern day, that, that, that giant's head, maybe for us, could be your PhD. Could be the job you have. Could be the money you make. Oh, look at me. I'm Dr. So-and-so. Oh, look at me. This business I've started and led, and it's growing. I boast only in the Lord. I don't boast in myself. You know why? Because everything else in this world, the Bible says, will come, will be shaken. That PhD will depreciate in value. Your business will one day be led by somebody else. But can I tell you one kingdom the Bible says that will never be shaken. There is one king who will sit on the throne. Presidents and prime ministers and governors and mayors will come and go. But the king of kings and the Lord of lords will reign forever. How boast only in the Lord. Come, let us tell the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. I prayed to the Lord. He answered me. And he freed me from all my fears. You know what worship does? Write this down. Worship magnifies God and minimizes your discouragement. Worship. You know, I was reminded of when I was an early teenager, my dad took me to the Baltimore Ravens training camp. And uh, this was back when they won Super Bowls. Come on, I believe in God in the future. <laughs> That's how old I am. It was back when Ray Lewis was, uh, just started with the team. And uh, I, I, I had been to one game before, but it was like far away. And then I also had like watched them on TV every Sunday. But when I saw NFL linebackers and defensive ends up close and personal, 
I saw how fast they were. I saw how strong they were. Their strength and speed were magnified the closer they got. Here's what worship does. The Bible says when you draw near to God, he draws near to you. So when you worship, you see how good God is, how great God is. And can I tell you, all of a sudden, when you realize how great our God is, the problems in your life all of a sudden seem really small. It's the power of worship, church. So here's my encouragement. When you come to church, I'm going to give you a Sunday application. I'm going to give you a Monday application. When you come to church, aim to get to church 15 minutes early. And if you run late and you know who you are, because you're looking around, we're like, who are you talking about? Tell yourself that church starts at 11 a.m., okay? So you get here at 1130, all right? I don't see you. I don't, I don't see you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But so I don't see you coming in while I'm already in the message. Let me, let me be serious for a moment. Listen, I'm not saying it for me. I, I don't need you here. I'm going to worship anyway. God is worthy of your worship and praise. Watch this, though. And your spirit and soul need it. Now, that's a Sunday application. Let's get to Monday. Pull your praise and worship from Sunday into Monday. So you started your week with worship and praise. Listen, before those kids get up, parent, come on, somebody. You need the presence of God. Worship and praise. Hey, before you open the email, you need the spirit of God before you tackle that email. Worship and praise. Because all of a sudden, when you start your day with, oh, you are worthy of it all. God, from you are all things. To you are all things. All of a sudden, that little thing that's been bothering you at work seems little itsy-bitsy. Because from him are all things. To him are all things. He deserves the glory. He'll do something for you. Here's the final point. So listen to the voice of God. Remember, remember the goodness of God. Here's the last one. is surround yourself with the people of God. Verse 13, Nehemiah writes, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with swords, spears, and bows. So he, he, he ended up taking people and he stationed them at the exposed. That word exposed in the Hebrew means dry and bare. So he stationed them physically at the weakest points of the wall. He put a support system in place. Like if we're going to we're going to rebuild these walls, we need some people. And I think it's I think it's to, to pull a New Testament corollary, you know, he says take your spears and your bows and your swords. And I love what Paul, you know, in Ephesians 6, he says we don't our weapons are not of this world, but they're spiritual, right? The shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God that he tells them to, to go ahead and wield their physical weapons. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6 to wield our spiritual weapons. But let me say this. You need a support system as you're pursuing the purpose of God in your life. You need some people around you who can encourage you. Here's what Hebrews 10 says. It says to not neglect the gathering together, which is what we're doing today. He says, as some people do, but encourage one another. Especially now the day of his return is drawing near. One of the reasons we gather together 
First is the worship. That's important. God first. But then it's to encourage each other. God knew you would need encouragement. God knew you'd have that hard day at work. God knew you would have that difficult conversation. God knew you'd, you'd be having that stress with that relationship. Here's what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5. Encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. That word encourage in the Greek, it means to encourage up close and personal. That means you need to let somebody in. Here, here's a question I have for you. Is there somebody in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, another follower of Jesus especially, who is close enough to you, they know what you are most discouraged about right now. They know about that issue that's keeping you up some nights. They know about that issue that's creating angst about tomorrow at work. And he says, let them up close and personal to encourage you, to give you courage. I was reminded of a couple weeks ago, I had a, a friend of mine. Um, I personally, I have a handful of close uh, friends, and I try to talk to at least one of them every week, uh, have a coffee or a phone conversation. And there was one particular friend of mine, he's a pastor in Pittsburgh. Um, I, we, we overlook the fact he's a Steelers fan. Uh, and we trash talk to each other. Uh, thankfully, this past year, I trash talk more than he did. Um, but no, he, he's a good friend of mine, and uh, pastors a great church in Pittsburgh. So I hadn't talked to him at all. He was he was like on my heart, like I need to call him. And we hadn't spoken in a little while, so I gave him a phone call. And I, I was thinking to myself, to be honest with you, it was one of those weeks where I was like, I had no margin in my my calendar. It was a full week, so I was like, I don't have time. Have you ever been there? Like I don't have time. For this this week. I don't have time for a friendship conversation like that this week. Usually when you don't have time is when you should make time, I found. Um, so I made time. I called him. And man, we had the most encouraging conversation. We ended up both kind of taking our mask off and being open and honest and vulnerable and uh, just encouraging each other. And I left that conversation so encouraged. Like, just by up close and personal, and we just encourage each other. You need to have that in your life. Let me say it this way, though. One of the best ways you can be encouraged is to encourage others. Proverbs 11 says this, verse 25. Those who refresh others, they themselves will be refreshed. This is a biblical principle, which it doesn't make sense in the natural. Here's the principle. Whatever you need, give it to somebody else. Here's the words of Jesus. Give, it will be given unto you. Shake down, press together, runneth over. Now so often we can come into relationships. We can come into a church and say, I need encouragement. And God is saying, well, then you encourage someone. <laughs> or you join a group because of what you need. And God's saying, no, actually, if you give what you need, I will take care of your need. So if you're in need of encouragement, listen, tomorrow when you go into work tomorrow, man, encourage a coworker. Man, speak to that project you saw them do. Hey, you did a great job leading that meeting. And you know, this is, this is super practical, but I'm going to help somebody out. Be as specific as you can. Hey, maybe you, you, maybe you thought to yourself, man, I wish my wife would encourage me more. Well, go home and encourage her specifically. And then clean the dishes. Come on, somebody here. <laughs>
put the kid to bed tonight. But, hey, come to church. So I'm going to come. I'm going to encourage somebody today. You yourself will be encouraged when you do so. Verse 15, we're coming to a close in this chapter. The, the, he says this, When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. Watch this. From that day on, half my men did the work. Half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind the walls of Judah who, who were building the wall. So what does he do in this moment? They, they get back to work. In fact, one of the commentaries I read for this message was, a theme in the book of Nehemiah is prayer and work. Now, Nehemiah, on eight different occasions in the book, he interjected the moment with prayer. But then they kept working. They got back to work. You know one of the best things you can do when you're discouraged? Just get back to work. So you get back. You, you get back to prayer. You get back to reading the word. You get back to leading that business. You get back to parenting those kids. It reminded me of uh, um, most of my movie references. I have three kids. Uh, so most of my movie references, I don't really know what's popular unless it's rated G. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Disney, DreamWorks, I can tell you. I remember years ago we watched the movie Finding Nemo. You've seen that movie. And there's a moment in, this, in, the, in the movie where Nemo's discouraged because he's lost. And he had another discouraging thing happen to him. He's like down. Hello, I love Dory's. Uh, you, you need a Dory in your life. You know? Like almost obnoxiously joyful. Like you need that actually. They are a gift. They just, they're just obnoxious because they're so joyful. And Dory's like, um, Nemo, when I'm down, my parents tell me to just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. I think that's a word from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> hey, you're feeling discouraged at work? Just keep working, just keep leading, just keep teaching. You're discouraging your marriage. Just keep loving. Just keep serving. You're discouraging parenting. Just keep parenting. Just keep correcting. Just keep teaching. Just keep swimming. Just keep. Some of you, the most faith-filled thing you can do is just keep working. You just keep going. You know, God honors persistence. Read the story of the persistent widow. Sometimes we can over-spiritualize things. God loves prayer, and God loves hard work. You just keep showing up. I don't feel like going to this meeting today. I'm going to go. I don't feel like leading today. I'm going to lead. I don't feel like loving my spouse today. I'm going to love. Let me say this. And I say this uh, with, with grace, but I'm going to say it directly. Um, and I say this from a posture of someone who um, I'm a proponent of. Let me say this way. I think it's important to know what's happening in your soul, meaning your emotions and your feelings. I'm a proponent of therapy. I, I have a counselor on a regular basis. I used to be a psychologist. I think everybody should have a counselor. That's just my personal bend. Um, 
Because life is hard. Life's hard. Um, but let me say this. You should, you should, feelings are a great dashboard indicator. But they are a terrible life navigator. And I think one of the ways the enemy is actually bringing destruction into people's lives is in our culture, there's a cultural narrative that it's okay to do something because I feel a certain way. And now, I, don't, I think you should, you should honor your feelings, meaning you should know what's happening on the inside. I had a conversation at the first service with somebody. It was beautiful. They were, they were honoring what was happening inside, what they were going through emotionally. But can I tell you, your emotions will lead you into some bad decisions. In fact, the Bible says this. We live by faith, not by sight. Listen, we are spirit, soul, and body in that order. Watch this. We live in a culture that's all about the body and soul, but neglects the spirit. And the word of God says we walk by the spirit. We are led by the spirit. We're not led by our anxiety. We're not led by our discouragement. How many of you would ever say, I made a decision out of my anger, and I was so glad I did. Come on, somebody. We make bad decisions and we're emotional. Do you know, neurochemically, when you're emotional, actually what happens, it disengages your frontal lobe. Do you know what your frontal lobe does for you? It's the area of judgment. Why do I make bad decisions? Why do I drink too much when I'm anxious? Because you just cut off your reasoning. Why did I say those words that hurt somebody when I'm angry? Because you're being irrational. So we live by the Spirit. Know what's happening in your soul, but don't be led by your soul. Led by the Spirit. Then verse 20, Nehemiah kind of closes it all. I love this. He says this, our God will fight for us. So Nehemiah did all these things, but never once did he say, man, we're going to do it. We got this. No, he said, our God, our God will fight for us. So to put it simply, not to oversimplify this message, but how do we defeat discouragement? We see in Nehemiah, he prayed, he remembered, right? So hearing the voice of God, remembering what God's done, worship magnifies God, minimizes our discouragement. We have a support system in place, people who can encourage us, people we can encourage. But listen, put it simply, we defeat discouragement when we draw near to God. That's how we overcome discouragement. With that said, I want to pray for you today because here's what I know. We believe in process and taking steps. That's what this message was for. But I also believe the Holy Spirit can do things in a moment that we could never do in a lifetime. 